It's wonderful to see so many people here this morning. Uh, I know we are uh, live casting, uh, but I think most of us were just tired of being cooped up in our homes. So uh, thank you for being here today. Our scripture reading today is from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The Word of God is just as relevant today as when it was written. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> Y'all doing all right this morning? Staying warm-ish? Good. This is what I like to call no judgment weather. You know, you come in wearing six sweaters or three beanies or whatever. It's You're just doing whatever you got to do to stay warm, and there is no judgment. So... Which, by the way, on that note, if you do know somebody, especially in our congregation, but even outside of our congregation, that you know maybe their, their power's gone off or their, their pipes have frozen and burst or something like that, and they need help, just talk to me, talk to Craig, who did announcements, one of the elders or something, and we'll see about helping them out. So I'd love to pray for us, and then we'll get into Dwell Week 3. Father, we're so thankful for the reality of what we've already sung about this morning I mean, what an opportunity to come together in worship of your name and and proclaim these truths together. And Father, during this time, I pray that you'll continue to rewire some things in our minds to help us to see you a bit more clearly today. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, like I said, we're in Dwell Week 3. So, Week 1, we talked about at the end of this, one of the translations we looked at says... Uh, to dwell in these things. So there's eight things that Paul says to dwell in, which the first week we define dwell as to ruminate, to uh, bring back up over and over, provide depth of understanding to something, or to think logically and carefully about. So Paul is saying here, dwell in these eight things as you are committed to your transformation and thinking about the things that are above instead of earthly things, focus on these eight things. And then last week, We just took that first one, whatever is true, and we defined truth as reality revealed, that Christ is truth, Christ is reality revealed, Christ is the way things actually are. And we talked about how you got to have the truth as your foundation, otherwise everything else is off. Everything else is built on a shaky foundation if truth isn't top. And so that's why Paul says whatever is true first, I believe, is because you have to have that foundation of truth. Now today, I come to realize this week, we're going to be breaking a streak of sorts. So the last seven times I've spoken, we've done one word, just focused on one word. Well, today, we're going to go through four. So don't worry, it's not going to be four times as long. So you'll be, you'll be fine. It'll just be three times as long. No, I'm just kidding. It's not going to be that. But we're going to go through uh, the next one, whatever is honorable. So what we're going to do is we're going to define these next four. We're going to go through the scriptures and see what scriptures have to say, cross-referencing, and then talk about how we can apply these things to our lives. So the first one is, whatever is honorable. Let's define honor before we move forward. It is to esteem, to see as precious, to place high value upon. Now, honor is a little bit different than I thought really coming into this week and preparing. It's, it's not so much merit-based as it is value-based, 
often I've thought, you know, somebody needs to do something honorable, and then I'll honor them. But really, it's more about value. It's about us choosing to value something that God values, or, or value the people that God values. And you know, honor is easy when you begin a new relationship, isn't it? You know, you, you get that girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, and you honor is very natural. You're holding the door open for them, you know, you're saying sweet, nice things and stuff like that, but then at a certain point, honor becomes something that you must choose. You know, you accidentally walk through a door and you, you hit the other person with the door instead of holding it because you just, you know, you forget to honor, right? And so what Paul is saying here, I believe, is we must be a people who choose to honor others, to value others. He says this in Romans 12.10, Paul does. He says, be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. And we live in a time where honor is not very natural. In fact, we live very much in a dishonor culture or a cancel culture even, right? We're, it's almost like we're looking for somebody to do something we don't like and then remove ourselves completely from them. But what Paul is saying here is you can actually choose to value people before they even merit that thing that you're valuing them for. And that's really important. What if, what if we became, in the midst of a cancel culture, what if we became an honor culture in the church? What if we just, in our minds, we just really thought about the things that, 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 that we value so much in other people? And I think often we, we think, you know, there's even in, even in school, man, there's like an honor-based system, right? You have the honors classes. Once you've merited that, we give you honors. But what if we flipped it around? What if we said, let's honor people and build them up in that honor and then see them do things that are honorable, and I think Jesus leads the way in this. God the Father leads the way in this, right? Before he ever asks anything of us, he demonstrates the value we have to him, right? He sends his son Jesus, right? He expresses how valuable we are to him before he ever asks anything of us. And it reminded me this week, I saw a clip of a Craig Groeschel talk about honor and he was talking about how he and his wife were counseling this other couple, and uh, the, the wife, she was so uh, demeaning about her husband. You know, she just kept talking negative and over and over and over again. And Amy Groeschel, Craig's wife, said, you know, you, you talk very negatively about your husband. You should probably not do that anymore. And she says, well, that's easy for you to say, my husband isn't a tenth of the, the man your husband is. To which Amy Groeschel said... Well, maybe if you honored him first, if you valued him, if you, if you really demonstrated that you value him, maybe he would live up to the standards that you have set forth for him. And that's the point here. See, honor builds people up. Dishonor tears people down. As a church, we want to be an honor culture. We want to value people, build people up in honor and see, maybe they'll start to do things that are honorable thereafter. And Morgan has done this from the start with me. One of the things I really appreciated about her, and still do, is that she really values me. And I still haven't put my finger on why that is yet. But, she, but over time, I've started to want to become the person that she thinks that I am. 
And that's the point here, right? I, I, I want to, because she values me so much, I, I really want to honor that honor that she has shown me. So the question really is this. Instead of cutting people down in our minds, what would it look like to esteem people, find the good, value them, see the best, focus on the things that God values so highly in our thoughts? The next one is whatever is right or just or righteous. And this means essentially whatever is aligned with God's ways. Wanting to see things the way God sees them and wanting things to be the way that God wants them. Another way it's translated here is to make good, sound judgments. It is us making decisions to dwell in things that are aligned with God's ways. Now, how often would you say you just dwell in what is right? I mean, if we're honest, a lot of times we really just dwell in what is wrong, don't we? You know, a conversation we had with somebody, somebody wronged us, and we just kind of sit there, we stew in it. Or our kids have been acting crazy, you know, once again, and we just sit there and we dwell in it. Or it could be a number of things. It could be our health. It could be any number of different things. And it is good to think about things that are wrong sometimes to help find solutions to those things. We just don't want to dwell in those things. And that's the difference here, right? We want to dwell in what is right what is just, what is righteous, what is good. And by the way, that's very difficult to do today because the news is filled with division, pain, right? I mean, division sells right now. So we've got to dwell in the things that are wrong in order to gain a following a lot of times. The news doesn't often start with something like, you know, loving father loves his family well today. That's just not the way things go. And so what's in our face all the time is this dishonor culture, this dwell in what is wrong culture. And so for us, we switch that around. Man, outrage culture dominates right now. But instead, we say, no, I'm going to focus. I'm going to dwell in what is right. I'm going to dwell in honor. I'm going to dwell in honoring people above myself. Colossians 3.2 says this, set your minds... On things above, not on earthly things. Now, that certainly doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from the problems on the earth. In fact, it really means the opposite, that we're entrenched in them, that we care deeply about them. But it does mean that we focus less on the problem and more on the solution in terms of what we dwell in. So we're present in the pain and we address the issues. It's just a matter of what we choose to dwell in. Now, another thing regarding what is right. What is right doesn't need to be accompanied by other factors. I mean, how often when you're making a decision do you think, how will somebody perceive this? What's the collateral damage here? What could happen based on this decision that I make? And I think we live in a perception culture, don't we? How will people perceive me? Have you ever seen a public figure and they'll make a decision about something, and they'll say, you know, history, I want to be on the right side of history. Have you seen people do that? That, that? that frustrates me so much when I see that. Because we don't get to write the history books for our time period. We don't get to do that. And we don't know the character of the ones who are writing it. So we have to reject the perception and just focus on doing the right thing, dwelling in the right things. And that's the point. We don't, we don't need to focus on anything else except for what is 
right. What is right? What is the next right thing for me to dwell in and do? And Morgan used to make me mad when she'd do this, but she's so right. She would I'd come and I'd say, you know, I'm so stressed about something. What happens if I do this? What happens if I do that? And she'd say very simply, what's the next right thing? What's the next right thing? Do that. Dwell in that. There doesn't need to be any other factors here except what is right. What is right? James 4.17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Maybe there are some here who, who know there's a, a next right move that we need to make. And yet, we haven't made that move. And today is a good day to do that. To say, I'm just going to do what's right. I, I'm going to remove all the other factors here. And I'm just going to focus on what is right. What is the next right thing for you to dwell in or do? Because that's really all that matters. And the third one is... Whatever is pure. Now, pure as in, I got two definitions here. Pure as in, no ulterior motives, just focusing on what is good. When it reminds me when when our kids were really young, like like zero to one, and Morgan would just hold them close, sometimes for hours at a time, just hold them close. That was so pure. There was no ulterior motives here. It wasn't like you know she was wanting credit for that, for them to come back one day and be like. Thank you so much for all those nights that when I was a baby, you held me. You know, that's probably not going to come, or may, maybe it will come, but that's not why she did it. And that's the point here. It's, it, there's no ulterior motives. It was just pure. It was just good. And another definition here is clean or modest or not consumed with earthly lusts. Now, let me say this. You're going to have a very tough time dwelling in what is pure if you don't first know that God's love for you is pure. There's a lot of skepticism and cynicism towards the love of God today. That there's some sort of, he, he, there's like, he's just wanting something from you, not necessarily for you, with no strings attached today. But God's love for you is pure. It's not contingent on anything else. And we've got to understand that, that there is no ulterior motive. His love is completely clean. And dwelling what is pure is going to be refreshing for our souls. You know when you go out and you, you labor hard and you get all dirty and stuff like that, and then you take a shower and you just are refreshed, you're clean? Dwelling in what is pure brings a refreshment to us. Now Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You see things very clearly when your heart is seeking to see things purely. And isn't that such a grace from God? That if our, if our heart is pure, then he makes his way in there to where we can see him more clearly. Now, purity gets out of whack sometimes very quickly, doesn't it? I mean, you remember 90s purity culture? There's been a great correction from that, an overcorrection to self-liberation. There's two extremes here. But one thing we have to understand is that purity is not opposed to pleasure. God has given us pleasure. God has made creation. He's given us the ability to appreciate and taste and enjoy food. Man, he could have made everything taste like beets. But he didn't. Does anybody like beets, by the way? What? No. Are you serious? That was like 30 hands that just came up. I am shocked. I thought everybody hated beets. So... I learned something here today. 
But God wants us to experience pleasure and taste in the things that he's made. And what's happened is the purity culture that's kind of rejected any kind of pleasure has turned into a self-liberation movement now where people say, all right, I'm just, I'm done with that. Let me just do whatever it is that I want to do. Let me just dive in. Let me just give in to self-liberation. But what happens is it actually leads you into more bondage when you do that too. So it's, it's both. It is, purity does not mean rejecting pleasures within God's great design, but it also does mean being refreshed by embracing what is in his design. It's both of those things. There's a refreshment for our souls when we rid ourselves of everything except what is clean and pure. It reminds me of when one of my girls was three, she all of a sudden struggled sleeping. She, she became very aware that she could do other things besides sleep. You know, it just it was a routine for so long. And then all of a sudden, she just said, oh, I could just get up out of my bed and play some more. And a couple days in, she is miserable, and we are too. I mean, it's just, you know, I've got friends telling me all kinds of different advice that are polar opposite and stuff, so we don't know how to handle this. And finally, I just decide, okay, every time she gets out of bed, I'm just going to grab her, put her back in bed. Grab her, put her back in bed. Grab her, put her back in bed. And that first night was very hard, but, but I, I almost even saw it on her face, the moment where everything clicked, where she was like, oh, my only option here is just to go to bed. And there was so much, like, refreshness to her with that. Not only literally, but in her mind, freshness. Because she got it in the right perspective. That's what God wants for us. And we think we want to go outside of God's design, but really we don't. Really, God's design for us is the way to flourish and thrive. And it's not that we were ever against her playing. It's that we wanted her to play within the right context. God wants us to play. He does. He wants us to to experience the goodness of his design, but within the context. And that's what purity is. It becomes heavy when we reject the things he has for us all together, like the purity culture of the 90s. But it also becomes heavy whenever we take those gifts and we get them out of the right context that he wants for us. So purity is both of those things, getting those things lined up the right way. And then the fourth one is whatever is lovely. Now, this one is probably different than you might think. Paul is mashing two Greek words together here with this word lovely. One that means to move towards, and then one that means phileo, or a brotherly love. So we're defining lovely as what moves you towards each other. So when we talk about phileo here, in some ways we're talking about the kind of love that's quite a bit easier. It's not really necessarily sacrificial like agape love is. It's more just highlighting the things that you already like about other people. It's prioritizing the things that you appreciate, to to actually dwell and think about the things that you already appreciate about those close to you. So when Lazarus dies in John chapter 11, we see this word phileo, when Jesus weeps, right? And and he weeps because there was a a brotherhood there. Man, he really just, he liked Lazarus. He loved Lazarus, but he also liked Lazarus. And by the way, in John 16, I think it's verse 27, The same word is used, phileo, for God the Father towards us. 
I mean, have you ever stopped to think about that? Like, we think about the sacrificial love of God, but actually, he also, phileo, loves us. There's an affection there. He likes us. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, how would your life change if you knew God not only loves you sacrificially, but actually likes you? I mean, that would change some things. Because I think sometimes we think he goes to the cross and it's like a begrudging thing. You know? I mean, certainly it was hard. But he did it out of affections for us, too. It's agape and it's phileo. It's both of these things. And that's what Paul is saying here. Focus on the things that you really just like about people. Man, every time Steve Spears speaks, I think about this very often. Every time he speaks, at a certain point... He'll go like this, look at his watch and go, hmm, like that. And I'm scared to death to even like peek at the back wall. So, you know, to check the time. Sometimes I try to just subtly do that. But sometimes I just think about that and I just laugh. And I think that's awesome. That's what we're talking about here. When my dad speaks, sometimes we'll, you know, have you ever seen him speak? And then at the end, he just will say, all right, I'm done. And then get off the stage. We call it affectionately a Walter walk-off is what we call it now. (laughs) And sometimes I just think about that. I think it's funny and awesome. Or like how David Jarrett, man, he just keeps just trolling me about my Christmas sweaters, you know. And, and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to do with that? Next year, am I going to like withdraw and not have any Christmas sweaters? Or am I going to up the ante next year? <laughs> you know, stuff like that that you just, you think about, you dwell in. The things that you like and that you appreciate about people around you. Man, I, I really like that. That this church loves to laugh, loves to serve, loves to be generous, loves to be missions-minded and all those things. That's what Paul is saying right here. Dwell in those things that, you, that are already in there, that you already like about the other person. And again, we do live in a culture today that is so quick to distance themselves from people. You said something I didn't like years ago, and now I've created a barrier in my mind towards you. That's the culture that we live in today. But Paul is saying, this is a choice here. You can choose to really focus on those negative things, those negative experiences, or you can actually choose to move towards them in your minds, move towards them in your thoughts, think about, highlight the things that are so good. Paul is saying essentially here, you know how God actually likes you? You know how he moves himself towards you and sings over you? Just do that in your mind for others. Move towards them in your thoughts. Man, let us be a people of moving towards others in our thoughts about them. Now, let me say this. Worship team, you guys can come back up. Let me say this as we close. We have undoubtedly covered a lot of ground here today. And there may be moments in time where you've said something in your mind like, oh man, I am for sure falling short in that area. Well, let me tell you, repentance is such a beautiful thing, man. Isn't it? I mean, it's such a sweet thing that God doesn't just like have his back turned towards us and say, you know, you messed up. I don't want to hear it. But like openly says, just turn back towards me. So some of these things we talked about, maybe, maybe there were some things that you thought, man, I just, I, I'm missing it in that realm. It's a great time to just turn back towards him. Align yourself with the ways of God once again, because it is so sweet that he allows us to do just that. Maybe it's in the realm of whatever is honorable. You know, maybe I, maybe I just don't honor people in my mind. I, I seek actually to be honored 
but don't really go out of my way to help create an honor culture. Maybe I, maybe I just focus so much on other people honoring me that I can't just value other people in my mind. If that's you, it's a great day to just turn back towards God in that realm. Or maybe it's whatever is right. Man, I just let so many other factors play in than just focusing on what is right. I, I just care too much about perception or, or, or there are things I know I need to do and yet I just haven't done them. I know that there's a conversation that I'm supposed to have. I know that there's a big decision that God wants me to make, but I just, I haven't done it yet. It's a great time to do that today. Or whatever is pure. Maybe there have been ulterior motives at times and, and your thoughts aren't exactly clean. Maybe I get things out of the context of the way that God wants them and I, and I want to be refreshed by seeing things the way God sees them today. And do that. Or maybe you've never experienced the fact that God loves you with no ulterior motives, no strings attached. Maybe you've never experienced that. Today's a great day to accept that reality. Or whatever is lovely. Maybe, maybe I've moved away from people instead of towards them in my thoughts often. Maybe I'm, I'm quick to create distance instead of closeness. I tend to not think about the fact that God actually likes me. Maybe it's time to accept that reality today. And Paul says, as our minds focus on these eight things, then the God of peace will be with us. We start to experience more fully the fact that he is with us. And perhaps there's nothing greater for us to experience than that. So this morning, if you need to come to the altar, if you need somebody to talk to or pray with, man, I would so love to do that with you. And, and, and trust me, I mean it. I would love to do that with you. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we're so thankful for your, your sweet grace, your, your, your sweet um, just desire for us to come back to you. Like, like in that prodigal son story, you know, and when, when, you, when you demonstrate the father that, that comes running, I just thank you that that's, in fact, who you are. And I just pray that you'll help us to see that reality a little bit more clearly during this time of worship. Father, for us as Grace Meadows Church, I, I really desire that we will be a people of repentance. I mean, perhaps there's nothing greater that could mark our church than being a church of repentance. And Father, I pray for conviction where it's needed right now in this moment. I pray for encouragement where it's needed. Maybe people don't know that, that you actually do no strings attached love them and that you also no strings attached like them. Father, I pray encourage our hearts in those areas right now. Convict our hearts where it's needed.